0: Hello and and welcome to Call to Action, the go-to podcast for anyone trying to make sense of the world of marketing, advertising and beyond. In an industry that is a minefield of utter bollocks, we aim to capture our heroes and allies from the front line to have a chinwag with. It's like Pokemon Go, with the single but vital exception that it's not a short-term bandwagon of shite. It's brought to you by Gasp, and I'm Giles Edwards, co-founder and MD. Today, I've caught Sophie Cross. An OG freelancer with over 15 years marketing experience, Sophie is the hot off-the-press editor of Freelancer magazine. After cutting her teeth in the travel and hospitality sector with the likes of London Eye and LastMinute.com, Sophie's pandemic pivot... produced Thoughtfully Marketing School, offering courses and resources to freelancers and small businesses. Out of hours, she's a Jay-Z superfan, total indophile, and a double-income large dog owner, or in her words, a dildo. Sophie says spending too long on the getting ready part can kill great ideas. Welcome to the show, Sophie
1: hey giles thank you so much for having me what an intro quirky
0: (laughs) seven quick fire questions then tea or coffee coffee reading or writing writing gosh sunrise or sunset
1: Ooh, gosh i have to say some i'm gonna say sunset now we can go out again
0: (laughs) noughts or crosses
1: uh crosses
0: books or magazines
1: oh gosh uh, curveball um magazines
0: all right two more liam or noel
1: oh Noel, all the way
0: <laughs> and final one michael bolton or andrew bolton
1: <laughs> andrew
0: of course is the wrong answer <laughs> amazing thanks for joining us sophie to kick things off can you tell us what was your first ever job? Because our research suggests it was either in a cheese shop or at Pizza Hut. So cheese was very much involved. And then what was your first proper marketing job?
1: So yeah, first ever job was in a cheese shop. So it was in a it was in like a, a little cheese shop deli and bakery, which I think I went in there so much before and after school that they just offered me a job one day. So yeah, that was a good um and yeah obsession with cheese has has continued from there and uh, i have a i still really want to own a cheese shop one day it's going to be called stinkies cheese wine and adventure books
0: and then how did you get into marketing then
1: so ooh yeah worked at pizza hut during uni went to uni um studied business and You know, I guess I was expected to go to uni. It was never really, you know, I wanted to go. I was expected to go. And I suppose I I was really interested in business, but it was also generic enough to delay me having to make any further decisions about my career because I really didn't know what I wanted to do beyond probably working in business. Yeah, left uni, kind of had that thing where you can do whatever you want to do. Went for some job interviews. And, you know, I was, was even more horrendous at job interviews then than I, w- than I would be now. So um failed spectacularly going for, you know, these graduate jobs in Mars and companies like that. Went, continued working at Pizza Hut and, yeah, had that other moment where I was like, oh, you know, I can do be whatever I want to be. So I trained as a personal trainer and sports masseur. <laughs> and um moved to brighton so I was personal trainer in the day and a pizza hut waitress at night i was working in the hilton brighton so i got a job as a Hilt- in the hilton brighton in their gym and just you know in hindsight you know hindsight's a wonderful thing and i like, probably could have started a personal training business but i was like 22 23 at the time and just enjoying you know going out and spending what little money i had on going out in brighton in the evenings so just got really bored of you know what was largely a job handing out towels in a gym so I went to the HR department one day and I said look have you got any more jobs going I'm a bit bored (laughs) handing out towels and I'd actually dropped marketing at university so in my first year at uni I'd you know got a a lower mark on in in like one marketing paper than you know I'd hoped and I just put it down then to the fact that like oh you know this is like the sexy career and you know, you need to be really creative, and I was, like, rubbish at drawing, so I was like, well, this just, this isn't for me, you know, this, I would have loved to do it, but, you know, obviously not, not cracked up for it. Went to HR, and they said, oh, you know, I I actually told them this as well, I said, oh, you know, I've done a business degree, but I I dropped marketing, and they said, oh, we've got, uh, the jobs we've got at the moment are, sort of, PA to the general manager or marketing exec and I was like oh well actually you know in hindsight I'm probably quite good at marketing <laughs> I'd love to sort of give it a go and yeah they gave they gave me the job I, I kind of I, you know I really wanted the job I really tried hard and I spoke to the sort of current marketing director to get get as much info as possible and and you know one of the main incentives I think for them was that they started me off paying me the same as as I was being paid in the gym so there, there wasn't really a, you know it was it was win-win for them in some respects but um yeah that's that was my first ever kind of marketing hospitality job and and I went on to sort of do my CIM while I was there um and you know fortunately kind of got noticed by the marketing director at Hilton the sort of regional marketing director and, and climbed my way up in that job fairly quickly because you know I, I was fairly well I was, pretty proactive and I was doing my CIM and things like that so yeah that was the start of my marketing career.
0: Nice I like the um, point you made about university and choosing something that was generic enough to delay decisions because I think everybody feels pressure don't they at that stage if they if that is a route they do go to make the decision the right one and and of course it's Mm. almost impossible to know what the right decision is until you either retrospectively decide it was or you become much wiser and understand the kind of Broad options that are available, so that seems like a really smart, uh, smart decision. Has that helped you? Do you think your your kind of your business specific business education has that helped you in your marketing role? Because it's an area of expertise that I think would benefit you know all marketers.
1: Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it's hard to remember what you learned at uni now, isn't it? I suppose there's always that kind of debate as well, whether you know whether the three years would have been better spent just getting into business. But um certainly, the business degree and then kind of my time in the corporate world has has set me in good stead for lots of things but um, you know I was also kind of desperate to get out of that that world and work for myself for a long time so um, it's it's nice to be to be doing that now as well.
0: Yeah of course and obviously you had the opportunity to do some CIM training as well so you kind of honed in a bit more on, on the marketing role and then how did you end up going freelance?
1: So, um, yeah, I had a few jobs in hospitality marketing. My last one was um, I was resort marketing manager at Chessington Modern Adventures, And then I actually left. I was, I was happy there. and You know, the team there were amazing. Um, but I just sort of got itchy feet. I actually had a really long commute as well. And, and um, I did a really short stint at an agency in Covent Garden, really small agency run by someone I used to know. And just wasn't quite what I was expecting it to be more because, I don't know, like they, they didn't really have any clients and I didn't really know that before I, I took the job, to be honest. So it kind of got to the point where I thought, oh, God, like, you know, I might as well go for it now. You know, I'd always kind of wanted to run my own business and I'd had a bit of a light bulb moment. I remember on my commute one day to Chessington, you know, after I'd set up, I'd written business plans for, Christ you know like sausage and mash restaurants like I was just obsessed (laughs) with setting up my own business and then always kind of got to the point where I was like yeah maybe a sausage and mash restaurant isn't like that's probably got quite a lot of startup costs (laughs) you know living in London looking at like restaurant spaces to rent and then um yeah I had the idea like oh I could set up a marketing business and you know the startup cost would be really low and I actually know what I'm doing so I'd had that idea before I kind of went to work for this little agency and then when that just wasn't going to plan, I was like, "Well, you know, I've got nothing to lose now." So um, yeah, I went freelance about just over eight years ago now. Yeah, and I really thought I'd, I'd kind of, you know, s- s- social media was really kind of hotting up at the time, and I thought, "Oh, you know, oh, I, you know, I would have done anything just to work for myself." Really, and I thought I'd be running social media accounts, and luckily, that that wasn't what ended up happening. I did get, you know, taken on to do some quite nice marketing projects and rebranding projects and, and um yeah sort of taken on by ex employers and that's how I started working for the London Eye and then I got you know passed on to lastminute.com and yeah just kind of that freedom and flexibility um was just I just thought it was amazing and I've got a dog which was one of my main incentives for going freelance to be honest. So <laughs> yeah, didn't haven't looked back really.
0: Yeah, well that's awesome. Well well done well done you because it's quite a daunting thing for anyone to to go uh, solo in any, any guys in, in freelance uh, capacity. It's obviously made an impression, because if we fast forward a few years, you've, you've, you've just launched Freelancer Magazine. So for our audience and anyone who might not be familiar with it, can you explain what... It is, and, and who it's for.
1: Yep. So um, it's a quarterly print magazine, print first magazine. There is a digital option as well. So it's a business, business and lifestyle magazine, and um, largely, I'd say, you know, we're we're targeting creative and B two B freelancers. But you know, it's, we've just we've just issue one has just dropped, so um, it's early days. But um, yeah, gosh, it's just been an absolute, absolute whirlwind. Just need to start. Start writing issue two. Do that. Do that second album, that sequel, which is um feeling the pressure now. To be honest, probably feeling the pressure more now than I was, you know, when we launched issue one. But um, yeah.
0: What gave you the idea to create it in the first place? Because because launching a magazine, I mean, that might have been fairly common in uh, going back a few decades, maybe in the eighties and nineties, where magazines were so so kind of illustrious and 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 sexy. But magazines, for various reasons, have been have become rarer and rarer in many ways. So what, what made you think you'd launch one?
1: Yeah, I mean, I suppose that was the reason to do it, really. But the short answer is that um, the idea pretty much sort of popped into my head on New Year's Day. This year, I had a bit of a light bulb moment where, and I suppose it does feel like the stars have aligned a little bit for me in terms of all the different things that I'm interested in. You kind of lay down all these dots and you know one day they kind of join up and you think oh my god like this is where all these things were leading to where it actually came from was you know to start the story last year really was we moved back to London in February and I was really gagging to kind of get back and and do something a bit different and to kind of we were living in Exmoor for five years so it was lovely and the lifestyle was amazing and you know client work was was going pretty well but I did feel like like I was plateauing and I wasn't really surrounded by the kind of you know, inspiration and culture and entrepreneurialism that you get in in London. So, yeah, we were keen to kind of get back. And, you know, actually, I was keen to start something. I was keen to do something a bit different. And I sort of thought that I would be, um, you know, launching some sort of hospitality networking event or something like that. I was kind of like, yeah, I'm going to, you know, make a name for myself as a hospitality marketer. And that was February. And then by April, you know, a lot of my client work had dried up. Um, And I suppose there was, A, I needed to do something, B, you know, I had that thing where I was sort of still, you know, I was gagging to do something new anyway, so I needed to channel that somewhere. And C, I suppose, well, I had a bit of a, I said this the other day, I had a bit of a Kevin from Home Alone moment where you kind of (laughs) think, where he's in Home Alone and he goes, I made my family disappear. (laughs) And then he's like, I made my family disappear. And I had that kind of moment where I was kind of sulking on these long dog walks about not having any clients and, you know, actually that, you know, it could be quite a good time to market yourself because, you know, all that was going into people's inboxes at one point was like a message from your CEO and, you know, uh, I was like, you know, it could be, it's going to be a good time to market yourself and, you know, show people what you're really about and, uh, you know, set yourself up for a good year when, when we come out the other side and i thought well i can either kind of have a, a bit of a sulk that clients have cut their marketing budgets which is obviously totally understandable in the travel and hospitality industry or i can you know i can get out there and do something and i can start marketing myself and and actually you know i can do it in the way that i i want to without having any client briefs or any kind of you know needing to get sign off or needing to get client amends so i just thought well you know so i started creating creating marketing courses online and just also just to sort of learn something new and learn how to do something new. And, and, you know, it was a great way for me to kind of create content for myself and have something to put out there. And and they started going quite well. And actually the magazine idea came from the fact that I was sort of sitting there thinking, right, okay, cool. These are going quite well. How can I sort of continue to raise my profile as, you know, a go-to freelancing marketing expert and you know how can i create content for people that is interesting that you know stands out a little bit and you know isn't just kind of like another blog or another newsletter and that's when it came into my head i was like oh like print like no one's doing print and you know everyone everyone was kind of at home and everyone was kind of fatigued from being online so so much so yeah that's that's when the idea came about and then it kind of obviously turned into you know what didn't it, it's very soon I mean straight away really it came into an, the idea in itself as opposed to an idea for marketing the courses it was like okay cool <laughs> no I'm not doing the courses anymore now I'm doing a magazine so
0: yeah it's awesome and I, I think it's absolutely fantastic and I, and I hope that if our if our people listening haven't got a copy they'll go out and get one even if it does take weeks to arrive listener warning <laughs> That was
1: just mine, wasn't no, it? That was, that just was my a, copy. It was a, It was a, It was Andrew Polton. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know what happened. I mean, yeah, I must admit we have had a couple of a couple of people now that have come back. You were the only one for ages, and I was like, oh my god, you know, we sent out five, six hundred copies, and you were the only one. But it did. It. We, we found it, didn't we? We found it. Yeah. Got returned. So I was like, oh, it wasn't just you know. We didn't. I, I'm not distributing actually, which is which was a, a nice nice decision that I made for myself I was tempted at some point like oh, should I distribute but um yeah sorry about that
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm only pulling your leg how how would you how would you describe the experience of of doing the magazine like presumably it was long and complex and really hard and certain certain things must have been easy I mean uh, can you put it into words how how it felt to to cross that finish line
1: yeah it was I mean I I actually didn't see it until Everyone else did. So I didn't get a print copy because I mean, you know, I'm so all or nothing and I make decisions like really quickly. And I was really keen to like keep the momentum. So I wanted to launch the Kickstarter really quickly. You know, I wanted, you know, there's so much kind of momentum and that sense of urgency that you get from a Kickstarter anyway. So I was, and I just really didn't want people to wait to get the magazine after the Kickstarter had finished. You know, I didn't, you know, in hindsight, maybe people waiting like six weeks instead of four weeks wouldn't have made so much difference but in my head I was like I want people to get it in April um the Kickstarter finished on April 1st I think and I was like right I want people to get the magazine in April um but yeah when it landed and luckily you know I could have been you I could have been the person that didn't get their magazine <laughs> you imagine that it was yeah it started getting posted second class on the Tuesday night and i sort of hadn't really i didn't know because i wasn't distributing it exactly when it went out and then you know i I logged into twitter on the wednesday morning and um you know i had like hundreds of notifications i was like oh my god (laughs) and um yeah i was actually staying with my my family at the time and i kind of ran out and i was like the magazines arrived And my stepmom was like, the magazine's arrived. And I was like, oh my God, has the magazine arrived? <laughs> so then it, it was just kind of this nice moment where I was like, oh God, I can see it. Like, you know, and also you have to do this thing I found where after you've sent it to print, I couldn't read it anymore, right? Because you're going to see the typos, you're going to, you know, so it's like, I say, like in yoga, sometimes they say, like, soft gaze, like, have a soft gaze. <laughs> so anytime I look at the magazine, I have to have like a soft gaze over it. <laughs> Not, not looking at it too carefully, but yeah, I was really like, that was, it, you know, I, I worked with Angela Lyons and, and so we'd made a magazine where well, we'd made lots of magazines for a client before. We used to make one um, that went into lots of different hotel rooms that went into venues along the South Bank. So when I had the idea to make a print mag, you know, it was only really because we'd worked together on magazines before that. I was like, oh, I know we can make a magazine and like she just did such a fantastic job and actually that process of working, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm quite bad at outsourcing things. And, and, and obviously I, you know, it's, it, it's, it makes it much easier when it's design, when it's something you have no skill at whatsoever, but actually, you know, the process was really, really easy of us working together. It was like, we, we have a, you know, we do have a bit of a meeting of minds and like, so, you know, it was like the whole thing. She was like, I didn't really have any amends in terms of her design. So she was almost a bit like taken aback by it. Like, are you sure it's like, give me some more amends. I was like, no, no, I think it looks great. I think it looks great. And yeah, I was excited to pick for people to see the, the design of it as well. And yeah.
0: Yeah, well, it looks awesome. It does look awesome. I need to in the spirit of your amazing isolated talks video which is titled start before you're ready did you then start before you were ready to do this it sounds kind of like you might have done but that's just how you tend to approach things which to be honest is similar to how I do
1: yeah absolutely I mean you know that 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 doing that talk was became a bit of a kind of self-fulfilling prophecy for me in a good way I suppose and um You know, it's just kind of great if you start to start to be known. I've realised to like you know talking about not being afraid to fail, then it kind of gives you a bit of a backup, right? Because you can just be like, yeah, well, I failed, but like I started before I was ready, so still (laughs) living the brand.
0: Yeah, exactly. I meant to.
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Just proving my point. Yeah, I mean the video. You know, actually, I I I was in. it, It was just around the time last year where I just started making the courses, and you know, of course, like. Last year was a difficult year for everyone and and you know my confidence had gone a little bit, and it was just doing stuff like that that really you know it really got me out of a bit of a hole and 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 you know took me out of my comfort zone but in a good way and the, you know I just wrote down how I was feeling making the video um for the script really because I was like, oh, this is perfect like i'm I'm for i'm ready and and yeah, I remember talking to my sister about it and being like, oh my god i am oh god this is you know I'm gonna mess this up or whatever and she was like well this is perfect just starting before you're ready just write how you feel and I was like okay yeah great <laughs> that's perfect so yeah it's kind of um you know I, I there's a point where you read these books about kind of launching early and and launching minimum viable products and things like that and you know you're sitting there and you're agreeing and then one day you know sort of believe I think I had this moment like reading the lean startup years ago I was like got to stop reading books at some point and actually like get on and do something instead of just reading <laughs> books nodding going yeah yeah minimum viable products yeah I suppose I, I started to get like a little bit of a reputation in my friends for like jumping in at the deep end so um, yeah I just thought I'd I'd, I'd roll with it really and yeah I've stitched, I've stitched myself up really because I do you know I I can't not say yes to things because I know like if it's out of my comfort zone I'm like yep cool I'll do it and then it you know it really does get to that point the week before or something I'm like why do I have to be this person like why can't I just be someone who's like happy (laughs) in their comfort zone yeah and then obviously afterwards you're like oh I'm glad I did it you know we
0: had a we had an isolated talk donated yesterday in fact as we record this it's yet to be released and one of the lines um from the video uh, uh, I believe quoting it incorrectly no doubt is if it's not uncomfortable and scary then it won't make you grow and I think there's obviously some some truth to that but your quote that we used in the start the spending too long on the getting ready part can kill great ideas um, is so true It's exactly as per you know the the line in the book that you read.
1: Yeah absolutely and I think it's just you know, I think about a lot of kind of obsessing about outcomes. I think that's the just the worst thing is that you obsess about how you how you think something is gonna turn out and it's just such a waste of time because it will never ever, you know, turn out like that. And you won't know what will go wrong won't be what, you know, the things you obsessed about going wrong. So it just I think I just sort of see lots of people like, oh God, if you know, I just read one more book, then I'll be ready to start and like thinking that it will be perfect but you know the magazine only came from years and years of me kind of failing at other things or you know whether you see it as failing or not right like that's kind of down to you so just go for it yeah
0: more is lost from indecision than wrong decision that's the uh tony soprano Soprano there for everyone as well i've always loved that quote um and how did the freelance community support you because from what i've seen it's been immense
1: Oh my word yeah it was like it was just m- like absolutely mind-blowing it still continues to be mind-blowing and you know I, I just I did think I was like oh I think people will get behind this and you know we've got quite a tight knit bunch on on Twitter and we support each other and I thought oh you know I think you know people will get behind it but the, you know it was just unbelievable like people just took it on like we will, we will get to this about, like, it feels like it, you know, it genuinely does feel like everybody's magazine. Like it feels, you know, Ed Callow wrote into Lauren Laverne and, and we got like a huge feature on BBC Radio 6 for it. And, ah, oh, it was just, you know, yeah, it's continues to be incredible the, the, the morning or, you know, the, The fantastic thing as well is I think that people just keep sharing it, you know, like every time it arrives now, people put a photo of it on social media and I'm like, oh my God, this is just so nice to see when it actually arrives, that it has arrived. And yeah, it's, I just, I can't believe it. I really can't.
0: So you're you're committed to doing the four editions, uh, sorry, four issues. And presumably there is some sort of life beyond that.
1: Yeah, I suppose I intend to continue it. Got quite a few people subscribing now um, through the website as well. And, and, you know, hopefully people that sign up for the first four issues will, you know, want to subscribe beyond that. Um, so, yeah, I suppose I haven't haven't thought too much about it I suppose I, I my, you know I keep saying it but my main focus at the moment is is kind of making issue two as good as it as it can be and then making issue three as good as it can be because I think you know you can start to get carried away at this point and, and look a bit too far into the future or um, you know look at think about growing it quicker than you know you need to and actually all you really need to do is focus on on making the product as good as as good as it as it can be and and you know making it kind of consistent with the first issue and, and not trying to be too clever and and getting you know especially I'm, I'm conscious that it is largely me writing it and of course you know we're getting featuring lots of other people and, and getting contributions but you know you really need to kind of have some sort of feedback loop when it's just you doing things and kind of really focus on making making sure that it is what people want to see
0: yeah of course that's obviously the right very much the right approach um so you mentioned issue two then so what can people expect from from issue two and how can they how can they buy it
1: so issue two is themed community so and yeah you can buy it through the website freelancermagazine.co.uk so Um, if you, if you just got issue one through the Kickstarter, or if you, you can still get issue one at the moment through the website as well, or you could subscribe, um, starting from issue one or issue two, but, um, yeah, I would tell you more about, about issue two, but (laughs) I haven't, haven't started putting it together yet. We have got all the features and we have got everyone that we're featuring and everything, but yeah, I haven't started writing it yet. So not fully. So, um, yeah. (laughs)
0: Okay, well, I've got a um, I've got a couple of listener questions for you then, Sophie. So asking the general public for their opinion, be it on Brexit or boat names, is notoriously fraught with danger, but that's not stops us asking. So uh, question one is from Rob. Rob asks, what advice would you give to new freelancers or those hoping to take the plunge on how to get your first clients? Do I have to use LinkedIn?
1: So I think... Showing my age, it shows your age by saying showing your age, doesn't it? But (laughs) I suppose when I was starting out, the obsession was with like getting business cards, you know, getting, I've got letterheads and compliment slips and everything, you know, boxes of them and, um, you know, getting your website. And I think you can kind of obsess too much about having a perfect website when really what you need to be doing is telling everyone in your network that you're now freelancing and what you're doing you know and you know actually linkedin it, it might be a really good way to connect with with people and i think you know people think about linkedin as like oh god having to post content and get cold dm people and and you know but actually it can be a really fantastic way to kind of reconnect with people that you've worked with so i th- would say the first thing you should do is make a list of everyone you know in your network if it could be friends and family but certainly kind of people that you've worked with and and um yeah ex-employers ex-colleagues that would be my main advice and you know my other p- piece of advice would be just join yeah just get join some freelance communities and and get get a, a bit of a support network going on because you know I worked kind of in isolation for quite a long time before Um, finding other freelancers on Twitter and and you really yeah just need to you know see how other people are working be inspired get support get help and they're just like the friendliest bunch of people so yeah get a support network and and tell everyone you know that you're now freelancing would be my advice.
0: Nice and as for LinkedIn I mean you've got a a very popular course called LinkedIn for humans and we certainly need more more humans on LinkedIn because Christ alive it can be quite a soulless place at times
1: yeah I mean you know I suppose it was one of the things that appealed to me about it was that you know again like no one was doing print right so so do print and you know if if everyone on LinkedIn is kind of boring and and uh, you know the if everyone sort of was complaining about how bad it was i was sort of thinking oh great well the benchmarks pretty uh, pretty low you know like it can be quite easy to stand out on there if you just have so yeah that would be that would be my kind of counter argument to to how bad linkedin is but um yeah i i i think i see a lot of people having success with it but you know, be yourself and, and don't try and it's easy to kind of get dragged in, I guess, to the to thinking that you should use it the way everyone else is using it and be professional. And, and you know, I would say, just be yourself.
0: Cool. Good advice. Number two is from Caroline. And Caroline asks, what is your favourite part of being a freelancer? And as I'm asking, what is your least favourite part?
1: Oh, good question. Um, oh rusty's staring at me now <laughs> like so yeah my favorite part would maybe be getting a dog but yeah the, the the freedom the flexibility um and yeah i just i i really love kind of being able to work however i can work i love kind of having no office politics i love um you know not having to go into lots and lots of meetings and things like that
0: what's your least favorite part do you think
1: Okay, so I'd say my least favourite part is unmonitored access to the fridge.
0: <laughs> That's your least favourite part? I was thinking that was one of the favourite parts. Yeah, right. Oh, I know.
1: Yeah. Depends on the day, I suppose. Depends what's in the fridge. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Yeah. Or what was in the fridge. Have you got a routine then to kind of get into that work mindset mode? Because I know uh, quite understandably lots of freelancers who I'm friends with have probably struggled the least during lockdown. I've found it really hard and i and i you know i um make no apologies for missing an office or an agency or studio type type space, but there are quite a few little hints and tricks that people have advised I try to get into the you know to help force that mental split of being at home and being at work but if if you do you do anything to to force that
1: um no and I, I think maybe i i could you know i'm thinking quite carefully about how I, I might be able to bring in more um because mainly because we just moved to a flat which is the first time for a while that i haven't had a kind of dedicated office space and yeah i i love working from home i love that kind of you know being being able to do whatever i want with the space that i can so you know if i want music on, i can put it on if i don't you know, go and make a nice coffee when, you know, silly things. I love that kind of having things exactly the way I want them. But I think the thing I've struggled most with is that I loved working from home because I had quite a busy social life. And to kind of not have that is you know as especially the last few months I mean obviously things have just opened up again which is amazing but yeah I kind of struggled with cabin fever a little bit because normally I would kind of be going out in the evenings or going out at weekends and and where workload was was picking up as well I've just struggled with kind of working the whole time so yeah I'm looking to uh, well socialize more but also bring in some better kind of routines and habits into my work
0: yeah I, I certainly need to I've heard quite a few my one of the um one of my favorites was actually from a uh distant cousin of mine who who leaves the front door of his house and walks around the side of his house and comes in through the back door as his journey to work which, which I just I love it so much because it's so fucking stupid yeah,
1: yeah. I think oh, I don't know yeah I've heard lots of you know I'm, I'm some days I'll be like yeah I'm getting dressed and I'm putting my makeup on and I'm doing my hair and then other days I'm like yeah that's not happening and I think I sometimes fall into the trap of being like, yeah, it's flexible. I can do what I want. Whereas actually I could just, just do with like setting some work times and, and yeah, I walk, I take the dog for a walk every morning. So that's kind of my, my commute. And that gets me into a good routine, I suppose, that I wouldn't be in if I didn't have him. So um, yeah, beyond that, (laughs) watch this space.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Having that habit and also reason to leave. Yeah, no, that's good. Everyone needs a rusty So the final part of the interview then, Soph, is our our four pertinent poses that we put to all of our guests, starting with what advice would you give to your younger self?
1: So I think I'd, I'd just say kind of get out there more. I think the bizarre thing is that when I was kind of employed, I didn't really think too much about you know, being part of marketing communities on Twitter or online or getting out to sort of different types of events or, you know, didn't really seem to be much point in kind of raising your profile as a marketer while while I was employed because, you know, you're just sort of doing your job and, and, you know, if you're in a job where the boundaries are kind of fairly set in place, it can be quite hard to kind of motivate yourself or see a reason why you should, you know, be exposing yourself to all these different things. But I think, you know, I wish I was started a bit earlier and I suppose even started joining, you know, these communities earlier as a freelancer because it was probably only three, maybe, yeah, three to four years ago, max. And, you know, I've been freelancing just over eight years now that I I really started becoming part of, of, of freelance communities or, you know, meeting other freelancers on Twitter. So I would just say, just start doing that as early as you can, basically start getting yourself out there and, and, start kind of yeah looking at looking at lots of different options don't kind of settle and think that you know and you're in this job and the skills that you need in that job are all you're ever going to kind of use
0: yeah, yeah yeah that's really good advice I don't think we've had that one before actually in truth and it's 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 certainly very valid um, number two if you could banish one thing from the industry what would it be and why I
1: was thinking about this I think it would be <laughs> marketers kind of seeming inability to treat others the way they like to be treated as kind of consumers so you know from a you know kind of like bad usability perspective or you know not using data correctly or you know pop-ups and like why would you ever no one ever wants like loads of pop-ups right so why would you ever put loads of pop-ups on your website and you know I guess it, it also goes more into kind of like Boring copy, like what? So one of my pet hates, especially like travel and hospitality, is really bad for it. So one, my my biggest copywriting pet hate is like, why not? So like, why not join us for a glass of wine? Yeah. It's like no one ever says that, you know? They text your mate, do you? But you see it on like every board outside every pub, like why not join us for a glass of wine? Yeah, um, and yeah, just that you know that that definitely goes into kind of making things interesting for people you know creativity you know we just brands just play it safe so often and and, and as consumers we never want to see safe we don't notice safe the you know the the content we're consuming isn't safe but you know as soon as you kind of go in you you see you know marketers going to these meetings they're like yeah i think we should just play it safe <laughs> it's like yeah so i just kind of banish that inability to kind of short-term tactics and you know just discounting and then just having to constantly discount when you know it's just damaging for brands as well as as well as boring and and tedious for consumers
0: yeah yeah no i fully agree yeah I, know, I i hadn't actually thought about that but you're absolutely right with the travel um signage the why not join us you almost need to start maybe get dave harland on the case he can write a long list of reasons why they don't want to i
1: know we did We. We did try and give Dave Harlan a brief the other day to, um, I don't know what it was like, we tried to give him something really boring just to kind of quash his creativity and we asked him to do something for paint drying or skirting boards or something and he still bloody came back with like <laughs>
0: something really good, yeah, yeah, really yeah.
1: annoyed, <laughs> more boring next time. We need boring, we need boring briefs for Dave Harlan.
0: if if you're not familiar with his poem dogs that he wrote when he was about I think 12 or 13 then I I recommend you look it up it's wonderful It's, it's his I think he peaked to be honest I mean he's still wonderful and great but that's just such a i
1: don't think i've seen this oh Oh
0: my god we um dave was on call to action oh wow
1: i've got new content to see
0: yeah dave was on call to action and we actually got um ollie mines who narrated the poop video that we did for copywriting is he narrated dave's poem and we played it to him on the episode so i'll I'll send you a link but it's wonderful uh so number number three are there any books that you would recommend
1: I'm going to recommend two books and then I have two pieces of advice about books which are actually contradictory so um one of them is The Artist's Way which I'm I'm rereading at the moment so it's called The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron which is like kind of spiritual and has lots of exercises that I, I didn't do the first time I read the book and I'm not doing them this time but yeah it's actually even though it has this kind of real spiritual element it really has this kind of Theme of just sort of telling you to get over yourself, and that it's not kind of virtuous to say yes to everything, or you know, to it's not virtuous to kind of like avoid doing creative work that you really want to do, you know, in order to do more sensible things, or to sort of think that other people deserve it more. So yeah, I just I don't know. Yeah, I'm just re re dipping into that book at the moment, which which I really really like. And yesterday I just finished The Choice Factory, which was actually recommended to me. By um old Dave Harland again, so yeah, that's by Richard Shutton, and that's twenty five behavioral biases that influence what we buy, and yeah, just sort of talk what we were talking about before about you know thinking about why people actually make decisions, yeah, it was just a fantastic book for that, and they talk a lot about kind of like being able to um you know test test your ideas in in real kind of life situations without you know, it, it's no use kind of asking people what they're actually going to do in, in focus groups and stuff like that. So I just thought that was a really, really clever book and really kind of, um, yeah, makes you think about the psychology behind behind marketing, which I'm really interested in. Um, and yeah, then my two country pieces of advice would be just be a bit bit wary, like I said before about, you know, reading The Lean Startup when I was like, oh God, you know, I actually have to stop reading business books at some point and actually kind of do do the thing. So I think reads. I read a lot of, I do read quite a lot of books, but read them if you you have something that you really are going to kind of apply them to and make sure you're just not reading them to delay starting something. And um, the contradictory bit of advice off that is like something that really changed, I don't know, changed everything for me that last year was like writing down everything that resonated with me from books. So just keeping um I actually do it in Notion so then it is searchable but even even just that process of of writing down the bits that resonate with you just I think it's really helpful to kind of make you you know obviously helps you remember but also to kind of make you make decisions about you know what you want to do next and what you think about things and and, you know how you're going to resonate with people
0: yeah that's really good advice yeah funny enough I, I know a few people that use uh specifically use notion for for just that it's uh no it's really good advice that wasn't as contradictory as i hoped i was hoping it was going to be something completely ridiculous but it's
1: like don't read books but also write down everything that yeah, you read in them when
0: <laughs> really you do amazing Um, And then number four, Sophie, we always dedicate every episode to someone and we bestow that honour to our guest who has to give the reason why. So would you kindly do the honours?
1: Yes, I'm dedicating this episode to Gareth Hancock, who is at That Content Shed on Twitter, who is, you know, he's an absolutely superb copywriter. He, he, He writes the way we all wish we could. I think he's, you know, just so funny and you know always kind of oozing personality and you know even if he writes four words it's kind of just oozing hilarity and personality but I'm nominating him because <laughs> nominating um he he's um you know I, I can't remember exactly how it happened if I found him or I found content club UK first which is a, a really nice community on Twitter but you know, he was really this kind of window for me into like the freelance communities. And you know, he just kind of does it for so many people where he's just like, Hey, come on in, like pull up a pew, how you doing? Like, can I help you with anything? And I've seen loads and loads of other freelancers on Twitter as well say, um, you know, credit him with helping them get started in freelancing. I know he's got some some amazing blogs on his website. I think he's got one that's um, 101 things he learned as being a freelance writer. And and I see lots of people saying, oh God, I read this and it it really helped me and it really got me into it. But, you know, I think he started setting the standard for like, this is how we treat each other. And then you want to kind of pay it forward and help other people. And, and, you know, the more people that act like that, you know, it, it really is kind of like redefining the way we do business and the way that we treat our competitors and, and things like that so yeah I just want to to give Gareth a shout because I think you know without him I wouldn't have got into freelance communities and you know I wouldn't be doing freelance magazine
0: that's a very fine dedication then so this episode is very proudly dedicated to uh, Gareth Hancock who you can find as Sophie said as um, at that content shed Fantastic! So, as a final call to action, everyone can head over to this listing, and we'll have links to the Artist Way, the Choice Factory, obviously to Freelancer Magazine, which I'd urge you all to to get behind and back and buy. How else can people get more Sophie Cross?
1: So, my website is thoughtfully.co.uk. So that's where you'll find the courses. There's a couple of free courses on there as well. That's where you'll find I do a weekly marketing mindset newsletter, so you can sign up for the newsletter there and. I'm at fully thought out on Twitter.
0: Well, Sophie, thank you for for joining us. It's been a real pleasure, and I've, I've massively enjoyed it. And thank you for giving us um, all of your tips, for giving us your contradictory advice, for giving us the shout out to Gareth. Uh, yeah, it's been it's been awesome.
1: Thank you so much for having me. It's been awesome. Yeah, it's been great chatting to you.
0: And finally, thank you to everyone listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do share and review the pod. Keep questions and guest requests coming in. To get in touch, it's easy to find GASP online. You can check out CTA pod on Instagram or email hello at calltoaction.co.
2: Try.